Just to give you a little preview of where we're going next week. Uh, Next week, we're shifting gears and moving into the Old Testament. I haven't preached from the Old Testament in a while, and so we will be going through the book of Nehemiah next week and over the next probably eight or nine weeks. But this morning, we finish up the Beatitudes. I'm not sure if many of you go to the Voice of the Martyrs website, and sometimes we have the Voice of the Martyrs magazine out there on the Welcome Center table, but there's a story that just came through this past week about a young woman named Reber. Reber is from Indonesia, and she grew up in a Christian home, and God had called her to minister to uh, the island of Sumatra. And so as a young woman, she decided to go out and to begin to share the gospel, really ministering to women and women's needs. And she met this one woman and began to share the gospel with her. And the next thing you know, the entire town came and rushed upon her and dragged her out into the middle of the street. They began beating her. They beat her with a stapler in her head. They were led to the authorities about an hour away, and the entire time they kept whipping her with a cattle whip. Now, this is a a Muslim area. And she was arrested. She was questioned until 3 o'clock in the morning. Violent interrogation. She was intimidated. She was the only female in this prison. They charged her with blaspheming against Islam. They put her in prison by herself. She had been beaten with the stapler. She'd been whipped, all for mentioning the name of Christ. And and she spent 60 days in a jail by herself, praying and asking God to give her strength. And and it was the only time that these um, Muslim guards had seen a Christian praying. And they were moved by what they had seen. She was released two weeks later after spending that time in prison simply for going to a woman's house and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you shocked that things like this happen in our world? When was the last time you got beaten in the head by a stapler because you mentioned the name of Jesus and your entire neighborhood came out and bum-rushed you and whipped you and flogged you and beat you? Has this ever happened to you before? We come to the final words of Jesus in this beatitude, and his words shock us. It's the last beatitude, and it's shocking. If you haven't been shocked yet by the beatitudes up to this point, you should be shocked, because this is how he ends it. Now, he's going to move into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. We're not going to look at that, but how does he end the beatitudes? With a very shocking statement. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Let's begin in verse 1. Let's look at all the Beatitudes because they, they stack upon one another and they culminate with this last Beatitude. So let's read together Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now here's how the beatitude ends. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are the persecuted. See, am I shocked by that? Blessed are the persecuted. Be glad and rejoice when people hate you on account of Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to ask three questions this morning of this passage of Scripture. We're going, we're going three areas this morning. The first one is this. Is persecution really a reality in our world today? I mean, is it really something that we have to deal with? Is this just something that's far off, that's kind of fairy tale, or is it really real? And number two, what's the root cause of this persecution? Why are Christians persecuted? What's the root cause of it? And number three, even, even more astounding, is why should we rejoice? Why be glad when you're persecuted? So let's look at the first issue this morning. Is persecution truly a reality in our world today? And we have to say, absolutely yes. I mean, I just told you a story about what happened in Indonesia. Go on the Voice of the Martyrs. Go on some of these websites and you will see that persecution is rampant in our world today. Now, there's two types of persecution. Often when we think of persecution, uh, there's the persecution of the hand. This is the beatings, the floggings, the imprisonments, that physical type of persecution that that comes upon a person maybe in in a country where Christianity is illegal. The persecution of the hand. And that's exactly the word Jesus uses here. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted. The the word persecuted he uses there really involves a physical attack. A physical attack. But it also, probably closer to home for us, there's also persecution of the mouth. Notice what else Jesus says there. Blessed are others when they revile you, when they malign you, when they gossip about you, when they speak evil about you. We're called bigoted. We're called closed-minded. We're called intolerant. All types of names people give to us, and we get persecuted for being a Christian. We get slandered. And so, The Bible clearly tells us that there's persecution. We see it worldwide, and maybe you yourself have even been a victim. Probably not a victim of the hand type of persecution where you've gotten beaten or flogged or imprisoned, but you've probably been a victim of the mouth type of persecution where somebody said something to you. They've reviled you. They've blasphemed you. They've they've maligned you. they've, They've gossiped about you. Now, Now, these are some encouraging passages of Scripture when we really think about it. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Thank you, Paul. Will be persecuted. Newsflash. If you want to live a godly Christian life, expect persecution. Just expect it. Acts 14.22 And saying that through many tribulations we may enter the kingdom of God. We're going to have to go through many tribulations to get to heaven. And then listen to Jesus in John 15, 20. Jesus says this, Remember the words that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Was Jesus persecuted? Yes, all the way to a bloody cross. 
Thomas Watson, the old Puritan, has said this, though Christ, did, though Christ died to take away the curse from us, yet he did not take away the cross from us. You still have to carry the cross. To identify with Jesus means to carry your cross, and that can mean persecution. The Bible promises it. We may not like it. We may not understand it. But the Bible is very clear. Now, let's look at the second question. What is the root cause of this persecution? What's the foundation? Why, why are we persecuted? Is it just a generic reason because we're, we're breathing? What does Jesus say in this text? Look at very closely what he says. There in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for what? For righteousness' sake. And then notice in verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. It's a persecution that comes from being connected to Jesus. It's not a generic type of persecution. Notice what the text does not say. The text doesn't say the persecution comes when you're purposely grumpy and hard to get along with. Sometimes you just bring that persecution on yourself. If you're grumpy and you're cantankerous and you make an issue out of everything, it's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus doesn't say that persecution comes when you're, over, when you're overly zealous and fanatical and you're doing all these types of weird things to draw attention to yourself that may have nothing to do with Jesus. That's not what he's saying. Also, notice he doesn't tie it to a political cause. Now, we need to be careful here as Americans because sometimes we can really jump into politics. And yes, there's a, there's a time and place to jump into politics and we may be persecuted for some of the stances that we take in relation to the public square. But let me just say this loud and clear. If you're going to get persecuted, let it be not because you're identified as a Democrat or Republican. Let it come because you're identified as a Christian. Don't tie yourself to a political party. I'm not saying don't get involved in politics. I'm not saying don't vote your convictions. But if you're going to get persecuted, make sure that the issue that you're getting persecuted is because of Jesus and what Jesus in his Bible says. And sometimes we have to take a stand when it comes to some things. Now, look at the progression of the Beatitudes. It's interesting. This is the last Beatitude. Does that surprise you? It's the last one. I mean, Jesus has, has built this case of blessed, 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 and it kind of shocks us that he, he sticks this last one in here. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Now think about this for a moment. If you live out the Beatitudes, if you live out what we've been talking about the past few months consistently, and you demonstrate them in your life, and you live out the Beatitudes, guess what's going to happen? you're going to be persecuted because you're shining a light in a dark place and people don't want to experience that. Notice what Paul says in Philippians 2, 14 through 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We could stop and go home right now. That's the end of my sermon. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. What Paul's saying there is, is when you act differently as a Christian, you're shining as a light, you're shining as a star out into a crooked and depraved world, a world that doesn't want to experience what you have to give them. And guess what light does to darkness? 
It exposes things. So the very fact that you are a Christian living out the Beatitudes, you're exposing darkness by the light in your life. And a lot of people will will recoil at that. Because guess what? When you shine a light, people get uncomfortable. And one of the coping mechanisms of a person uncomfortable is to lash out and attack you and to persecute you. It's a coping mechanism when people are exposed. And notice what Jesus even tells us in John chapter 3, verse 20. John chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So what happens when you, when you live as, a, as an authentic Christian? When you live as a Christian who embodies these beatitudes on a consistent basis, you're light. And what happens? You're exposing people who are in darkness, and they don't like it. It's like a badger. Anybody ever gotten attacked by a badger? Hopefully not. What do badgers do? Badgers are cranky little animals that like what? They roam around in the dark. They burrow down in these little holes. They like to hang out in the dark. And then when you come and pull a badger out of its hole, what's the badger going to do? Ah, I don't like the light. I don't like you. I'm going to be a badger. I'm going to be a honey badger. I'm going to attack. A lot of people are like badgers. When you come around and shine the light of Christ, they're going to bite because they're not going to like it. Now, I want you to think about the Beatitudes for a moment. Let's just look at these. Let's go back and look at the Beatitudes. The first Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When you start talking about being poor in spirit, when you start talking about the fact that we need a Savior, when we talk about being bankrupt, guess what? You're going to offend the prideful, and they're going to persecute you. Talk about mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. When you talk about mourning your sin, when you talk about repentance, when you talk about confessing your sin to God, when you talk about pouring your life out to God, guess what's going to happen? You're going to offend those that are happy in their sins and don't want to mourn over their sins. Talk about being meek. When you start talking about being meek and laying aside rights and having that power under control, you're going to offend people that are assertive, people that are aggressive, and they're going to persecute you. Or the next one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When you talk about hungering and thirsting and panning after righteousness, those that hunger and thirst and pan after the world, they're not going to like what you have to say. They're going to persecute you. What about being merciful? When you start being merciful, when you start embodying uh, being, being a person of peace and, and mercy and grace, people that don't like that are going to persecute you. Blessed are the peacemakers, the troublemakers. They're, they're going to they're come against you. Blessed are the pure in heart. When you, when you start actually living out these beatitudes and really authentically living them out, you're going to be offensive. Not for the sake of just being offensive, but for the sake that you begin to smell and look and act like Jesus. And people don't like that. Let's just be real honest. People like the idea of Jesus, but when the real Jesus comes, he makes them uncomfortable. And when you look like Jesus and you act like Jesus and you begin to to embody the Beatitudes, you are a magnet for hostility because it threatens people because they've never seen anything like this before. And their coping mechanism is is to react Somebody's winning a game. I'm not sure who's playing right now, but John 16, 1 through 2 says this. I have said these things to keep you from falling away. 
They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. That's scary. Because does that sound like militant Islam to you? Those who put you to death are going to, sound, are going to think they're doing a service to God. In the name of Allah, in the name of, quote, the Islam God, when they put to death Christians and Jews, they're thinking they're doing that in the service of, of God. So persecution can even come from people that are, quote, unquote, religious. Listen to what, what Peter says, 1 Peter 4, 15-16. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. That's what Jesus says. If you're going to be persecuted, let it be for righteousness' sake. Let it be for my name. Peter says, if you're going to suffer, suffer because you're a Christian. And don't be ashamed to take the name Christian. As a matter of fact, it's a badge of honor to be persecuted because it really means you're living up to your name of who you are as a Christian. So, so Jesus is saying it's not just generic persecution for, for any, old, any old reason. It's for righteousness sake. It's for living out the Beatitudes. It's for living the gospel out in a way that shines the light in people's darkness. And how does the world view us? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 4, 12-13, this is how the world reviews us. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. You know that, that, that Paul calls us the scum of the earth? Now, that's the way the world views us. You Christians are the scum of the earth. You're the scum of the earth. And when that happens, we bless. We, we revile. Our very existence means that we live out these beatitudes. Now, now persecution may come in, in, in different, different ways. It may affect people financially. I'm sure you're, you're, not, you're, you're not in the dark about what's going on with Hobby Lobby right now. Hobby Lobby is the craft store that probably many of you have gone to. It's owned by Christians. And they've made a strong stand saying, we are not going to abide by the health care mandate because it's going to require us to provide abortion day after pills for our employees. And that goes against our conscience. It goes against the Bible. And so we are not going to do that. And the federal government says, okay, pay $1.3 million a day in fines. And Hobby Lobby says, we will do that. Now talk about a company that could have caved in and said $1.3 million a day. They're willing to fight this based upon a biblical principle and face the ramifications. Now that's a form of persecution that may not be outright, but it's a financial, it's a, it's a type of persecution that affects your purse strings, it affects your pockets. And it shouldn't surprise us because all throughout the Bible we see persecution. Do you know what the first persecution was? It didn't take that long, did it? Cain and Abel. I mean, it didn't take long, did it? The first kids. Cain persecuted Abel and killed him. Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man. You remember Joseph? He didn't want to have sex with Potiphar's wife, and so he was um, accused of, of, of committing rape, and he was put in prison, and, and he was an object of persecution. Joseph. 
You also have Moses. Moses was persecuted all throughout those angry Israelites that kept wanting to go back and there were rebellion after rebellion. Moses was persecuted. David was persecuted. King Saul tried to persecute him. Elijah was persecuted. He was hunted down by Jezebel. You've got um, Jeremiah. If anybody was persecuted, Jeremiah was beaten and thrown in prison and thrown in a cistern. And, and, and Je- Jeremiah had this great ministry. He was a megachurch pastor. And all the book of Je- Jeremiah, you know how many people got saved under Jeremiah's ministry? One, possibly two people. Yeehaw, Jesus, thank you for that ministry. My ministry is marked by one person getting saved and the rest of the life being in prison, being beaten. All for mentioning the name of, of Christ. Daniel was persecuted. You remember what happened to Daniel? He was put in the lion's den for praying out loud. Stephen was stoned to death. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. James, the brother of John, was beheaded. Philip was scourged, beaten, and crucified. James, the leader of the church who wrote the book of James, was beaten, stoned, and bludgeoned to death with a bat. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was crucified. Mark was dragged to death. Jude was crucified. Thomas was killed by being speared to death. And Luke was hanged on an olive tree. Almost every single one of the disciples or gospel writers was killed for their faith. Do you think we're immune to any of that? I mean, these are the big guns in the Bible. When you, when you stack up Moses and Peter, and those are big guns. Anybody ever heard of John Huss? You may have heard, anybody heard of Luther? Calvin, Zwingli, the Protestant reformers. We're very familiar with the Protestant reformers of the 1500s. But about 100 years earlier, in the 1400s, there was a Czechoslovakian pastor who dared go up against the Roman Catholic Church and say, the Pope's not our authority, the Bible is. It's our only authority. We obey what the Bible says. And they brought him before the authorities and they said, you must recant. Are you saying that this is your only source of authority? And he said, yes, it is. You know what they did for that? They burned him at the stake as a heretic. They put a white little hat on him that said, heretic. And they said, recant or we will burn you to the stake. And you know what he did? While he was being burnt to the stake, he says, I will not. I will not recount on the authority of the Bible, and Father, forgive them for burning me at the stake. He was the precursor to the Protestant Reformation a hundred years earlier. And God used this man to launch what we hold dearly today in that scripture alone. This is the ultimate authority for our lives. So, so we've looked at two issues this morning. Number one, persecution's real. Persecution of the hand, persecution of the mouth. Number two, what's the source of this persecution? What's the foundation? What's, what's the root cause of this persecution? It's for righteousness' sake. It's for naming the name of Christ. It's for living out these beatitudes. But here's the radical one. Here's the third question. And it makes it so radical. Why is it a joy to be persecuted? I mean, what does Jesus say there? Blessed are those who are persecuted. And then down there in verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus? Did I I misread this? Anybody misread this in their Bibles? Be glad when they persecute you. Why in the world is it a joy to be persecuted? Well, I think there's two issues. First of all, in the present. When we get persecuted in the present, it is grows our character it grows our character there are three specific passages of scripture that talk about our character romans 5 3 through 5 
And all these, this Romans passage, this James passage, and this First Peter passage all basically use the same Greek words, the same concept. It's just three different authors saying, saying the same thing. But they all, they all have the same point. Here's the point. Suffering builds your character. Okay, so here's Romans 5, 3 through 5. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice, we're glad in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So rejoice in these sufferings, knowing that they produce character. Okay, what does James say? James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy. Same word, rejoice, joy. Be glad, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfected and complete, lacking in nothing. Be joyful because persecution, trials, and tribulations cause endurance. They build your character. And then 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, In this you rejoice, same word, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So so what does persecution do to us? It, It makes us more like Jesus. Trials make us more like Jesus. And God ordains these in our lives to test our faith, to make us grow. And you may say, I don't like that, Sean. And I would say in the proverbial words of Paul, get over it. I don't know if he said that somewhere, but I'm sure it's in the Greek text. Get over it. God ordains trials, persecutions, suffering in the crucible of life to produce our character, to make us more like Jesus. And how do we respond when we're persecuted? How how do we respond? Do we retaliate? Do we get resentful? Do we blame God? Do we say, God, that's not fair. God, I don't like it. Or do we say, no, this is the sovereign hand of a powerful God who's using these circumstances. I don't know why, but he's using these for his glory and for my good. As a matter of fact, Isaiah tells us this. Isaiah 48, 10 through 11. God says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. How many here have been tried in the furnace of affliction? You don't have to raise your hand. Some of you are, but that's okay. But notice why God does it. For my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. It's very interesting. God says the reason you're going through affliction is not for you, it's for me. It's for my name's sake. So how you respond to the furnace of affliction is a direct correlation to how you glorify God. God does that to bring glory to himself. Now, we may not understand that and say, God, that doesn't make any sense. If I'm going through the fire of affliction and it's not for me, it's for you, this doesn't quite make sense. But God does everything for his glory and he's ordaining these things so that he looks great through how we suffer. Does God look great in how we suffer? Now, think of it this way. When you experience persecution, it's a sure sign you're a Christian. That should bring you great comfort. That doesn't mean that you may be experiencing persecution right now or or the intensity. We have brothers and sisters around the world that are experiencing a lot more intense than we are, but if you're not experiencing some type of tension in your Christian life, by your lifestyle, by your stances, by the way that you live, if you're not experiencing, if everything's hunky-dory, 
you've got to ask the question, am I flowing with the stream or am I flowing against the stream? Because if there's no resistance, if there's no tension, you may have to ask yourself, am I just like the world? Because if I'm just like the world, they're not, they're not going to persecute me because I'm just like them. It's a badge of honor. That's what the apostles said in Acts 5, 40 through 41. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I got beaten, but I'm counting it a joy to suffer for the name of Christ. That was the attitude of the disciples. So, so, so there's the first issue of why it's a joy. Number one, and we don't quite understand this, it's a joy to be persecuted in the here and now because it builds our character. It makes us more like Jesus. But, but if that's all we lived for, we wouldn't have any hope. But there's a second issue, and, and Jesus addresses it in this text. What's the second reason why we rejoice in persecution? What does he say? For theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. And look at verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. He talks about a future reward. He talks about heaven. And so think about it. This is where, this is where we have to struggle as Christians. Whatever we're experiencing now, heaven far outweighs that. But we're not there yet. So we live in the tension of, man, I've got to go through this. But I know that one day, I'll step foot in heaven and I'll receive my reward. And as bad and as painful and as grueling as the suffering we go through right now may be, it's not the end. For the believer, the end is the reward in heaven. Listen to how Paul describes it. In Romans eight eighteen, he says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. I can't even make a comparison. What I'm going through right now has no comparison to what is promised to me that day when the glory is revealed. 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18. You may want to highlight, underline. If you're going through a struggle in your life right now, go to 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18. For this light, momentary affliction. And you're like, it doesn't seem light and momentary to me. It seems like an eternity. But Paul says in the grand scheme of things, it's a light, it's a momentary affliction. It's something you're going through. It's an affliction of furnace that you may be going through right now. But it's light. It's momentary. But notice what it's doing. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What Paul's saying here is what you're going through right now is really preparing you to get to heaven, and there's no comparison. Whatever you're going through right now, there's no comparison to what joy is going to ally you, lies for you in heaven. One day our eyes, our eyes are going to be open, and so, so where should our focus be? When we're going through affliction, when we're going through struggles, when we're going through trials, a lot of times our focus is right on the minute, right on the situation. And where really should our focus be? Paul says, let not your, things be on, let not your gaze be on things that are seen. Where should our gaze be? Things that are unseen. 
I wonder how often as Christians we truly do focus on heaven. Or do we just talk about heaven as if, yeah, we're going to get there someday. I, I hope I get there someday. Or do we say, you know what, this is not my home. My home is in heaven and that's where my eyes are at. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes it this way. He, he says this reward, he says it's unmixed joy and glory and holiness and purity and wonder. That's what's awaiting us. That's your destiny and mine in Christ, as certainly as we are alive this moment. How foolish we are that we do not spend our time thinking about that. Oh, how we cling to this unhappy, wretched world and fail to think of those things and to meditate upon them. How often do we think about this world? Now, now, let me draw your attention to something in the Beatitudes. How do the Beatitudes start? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. How does it end? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the only Beatitude promise that's repeated twice. The Beatitudes start with the promise of the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes end with the promise of the kingdom of heaven. It's like a sandwich. The two loaves of the bread and then everything in between. There's a, it's a bookend. And so what, what Jesus is saying is that all these Beatitudes wrap up in this whole idea that our focus is on heaven, our future reward. Where's our gaze? You know, we're strangers in a strange land. I hope you know if you're a Christian, this isn't your home. This may be where your address is, but your permanent forwarding address is in heaven. Listen to, listen to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. Listen to, to, listen to Moses. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to what? The reward. His eye was on the reward. Now, now don't ask me what the reward is. I don't know. All I know is it's in heaven and Jesus is there and that's good enough for me. Don't ask me about the intricacies because I'm not going to really care. As long as I'm with King Jesus, everything else pales in comparison. So is your focus, is your gaze on the reward? King Jesus in heaven. Can you say like Paul in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you truly say that? If I live, it's all about Jesus. If I die, I get to see Jesus. So it's a win-win. But so often, what do we, how, do we, how do we translate that? For me to live is myself, and to die is going to be a really bad bummer. That's what the way the world thinks. For me to live is myself, and to die would be really bad. For the Christian, it says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, because I get Christ. No matter what happens in this world, I've got Christ. One of the great preachers of the early church was a man named John of Antioch. You probably know him, maybe heard the term John Christison, the golden mouth. He was one of the greatest preachers of the early church in the 400s. Now, he was a strong preacher. He did not back down from biblical truth. You would actually say he was a fiery preacher. He got in people's faces, a lot like John the Baptist. And the empress, Euxodia, got really upset 
with John and said, um, Emperor Arcadius, my husband, would you go tell that guy to shut up? He's offending me. He's a little bit too strong. He's preaching a little bit too much of the Bible. He, he's being a little bit too, too extreme in his Christianity. Let's go tell him to calm down. So he was threatened. They brought him before the emperor and they said, if you don't stop preaching the Bible, you're going to be exiled. You're going to be banished. You're going to be sent out of the country. And so John said, okay. He says, you can't banish me. For the world is my father's house. Anywhere I go, God owns it, so send me wherever. You can't kick me out of the country. The whole world belongs to God. And they got mad and they said, well, I'll kill you. And he said, no, you can't kill me. My life is hidden in Christ, so if you kill me, I get to see Jesus sooner. And they got more mad. They said, okay, we're going to take all your earthly possessions and, and, you're, and all your earthly possessions will be confiscated. And he says, sir, that can't be either. My treasure's in heaven where no one can break in or steal, so take whatever you want. My treasures are in heaven. And they got really mad, and they said, well, I'm going to banish you forever and leave you with no friends. You're going to be out on an island all by yourself. You're not going to have any friends or family. He said, you can't do that. I've got a friend named Jesus who sticks closer than a brother who will never leave or forsake me, so take me away from my friends. I got Jesus. So they got mad and said, okay, we're going to banish you. We've had enough. So they sent him out to banish him, and on his way, he died. On his way to exile, but he died as a man who understood this, this world's not what it's all about. You can take my friends, but I've got a greater friend. You can take all my earthly possessions, but I have treasures in heaven. You can take my life, but my life is hidden with Christ. You can banish me anywhere in this world, but God owns everything. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so as we conclude the Beatitudes, one thing I want you to remember is that we are citizens of the kingdom. Now, oftentimes, we live as citizens of this worldly kingdom. And yes, in a sense, we're citizens of earth, but we have one foot in earth and one foot in heaven. And the question is, which one pulls you more? Are you pulled more towards this world, or are you pulled more towards your true home, heaven? And so Jesus concludes these Beatitudes with the blessing. Blessed are they when they persecute you. So just a friendly word of warning this morning. If you really want to live the Christian life, if you want to live out these beatitudes consistently, faithfully, if you want to be what God has called you to be in totality, you and I better expect the persecution to come. And I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I'm a pastor and the son of a pastor. But I will stand here and tell you, and you can, and you can quote me on this, it's not a matter of if persecution comes. It's a matter of when. I just spent a week in seminary with uh, another pastor who's in Canada. And he said, Sean, be prepared. But what we have to deal with in Canada is coming to America. He could get thrown in jail for preaching against homosexuality. He can get thrown in jail for doing a lot of different things. And the government's making more and more restrictions. He says, it's just a matter of time before you have to deal with what we have to deal with. It's coming. Be prepared. So let's not live in a dream world, Christians, to think that everything's hunky-dory, but let's not hunker down and, and retreat and say it's hopeless. We have hope because we have the King of Kings who owns everything. And so let me just one more time read the Beatitudes. And as I read these, and as we conclude our series on the Beatitudes, let these sink into your heart and just remember that this is Jesus, the King of the kingdom. He's speaking these into our lives. Blessed 
are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light show so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's no surprise that Jesus ends the Beatitudes by saying you're a light. He goes right from the Beatitudes to let your light shine. And it's interesting, it comes right after persecution. So what's the best way we can let our light shine? By how we handle suffering, how we handle affliction, how we handle the crucible, the furnace of affliction. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning as as we pray. When dying is gain... For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Maybe you're here this morning and you're experiencing that persecution. Or maybe you're going through a trial. Or maybe you're going through a situation that you don't quite understand what God is doing. Let the comfort of the scriptures come to your heart and mind and know that you are to rejoice in that because God's doing it for your good and for his glory. So spend some time this morning just asking God to search your heart, to give you confidence, to give you comfort, to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Spend some time in prayer this morning. Your name in the land that is plentiful where your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. And blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Father, may we be a people they can truly and authentically sing that song because we have the confidence to know that you will never leave us nor forsake us. That you've promised us heaven. You've promised us a great reward. 
and these slight and momentary afflictions that we're going through are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory we will experience when we get to heaven. So, Father, may our eyes be gazed upon heaven, and, Lord, may our lights so shine before men as we leave this place and live out these beatitudes on a daily basis. Would you grant us the grace and strength to be able to do that so that in all things people would not look to us, but they would look at Christ Jesus and say, what a wonderful Savior he is. May we be the aroma, the smell, the fragrant smell of Jesus to a lost and dying world that has no clue about true joy. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus, because you've blessed us in these Beatitudes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.